there and welcome to Leading Change Conversations, the podcast where we tackle real-life challenges with leaders like you to make organizational change a breeze. In this episode, we look into how to accompany an organization through a vital and difficult transformation where most employees were suspicious and cynical. Tune in if you want to learn about tools to build trust in such a situation. So now let me introduce you to our amazing guests, Sarah Van Moylen Anastasi. Sarah is a passionate storyteller and connector with extensive expertise around the complete branding, marketing, communications, and sustainability spectrum. Results-focused and hands-on, she has solid cross-industry experience in fast-paced and transformative sectors from pharma, food, and agriculture to IT, technology, geospatial, and logistics. Multilingual, a digital advocate, and a dyslexic thinker, she enjoys developing synergies and integrated solutions to enhance reputations, foster transformation and growth, and especially drive value and impact. Welcome, Sarah. Good morning, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. And I mean, we are speaking a bit on the same level as we were both working for many, many years in corporate communications and have quite a view on how how to bring change to life and how to help leaders and especially the senior management to bring change to life. And you will speak today about a case where you had a quite tricky situation in an international organization. Do you want to introduce what was the situation? So I was actually working for a company that found itself in um, quite sort of difficult financial situation. The strategy that it had been executing for the last couple of years was no longer working. And to sort of paraphrase the CEO, he felt like the company was bleeding from all over the place and he didn't really know where. So with that, we decided there was a sort of need, very urgent need to embark on a journey of transformation to to get the company healthy again because the the company actually worked in very successful markets with very successful products so there was absolutely opportunity to sort of right size the company and make it successful this was also a case where the company had gone through several transformations beforehand but they hadn't been necessarily quite as successful so there was also a sort of feeding of Deja vu, I've done you know, it's we've done it before, it hasn't worked amongst colleagues. I think it was an organization with a lot of change fatigue and a lot of frustration around that. Yes, I think change fatigue is the is the right point because there had been changes in the past with good intent, but it was just change after change after change and not really understanding why we're doing the change and, and trusting the change. What was the level of trust that was in the organization? Um, it was very low at the very beginning. The organization, and, and again, I'm sort of saying, looking at the the largest part of the organization, which of course is production and sales, the people that were say at the front end uh, were like, all they could see was they were going to lose their jobs. It hasn't worked in the past. Why is this going to be any different? Mm-hmm. Was it about restructuring as well, that change? Was it about people losing jobs or was it just a fear of people? I mean, there were some areas where jobs were unfortunately lost. The sort of the production, which is a sort of the core, the heart of the company, most of those jobs were actually safe. 
And in actual fact, one of the questions we got later on was about the company being sold because it was private equity and what would happen. And um, the CEO at the time said, well, that's actually a good thing if the company is bought because it means that they value the assets of the company, which is the production and you. He said, that's actually good for you. He said, on the other hand, for me and the management, it actually means that in a sense we've done our jobs, but we no longer have a job going forward because if the company is sold, they don't actually need the management, but they do actually need you, the production colleagues and the sales force because without it, there's no, there's no way to make a product or sell the product. Did people believe that message? When we got to that point, Yes, they were beginning to believe that message because we'd actually embarked on was a huge communication program where we'd really sort of explained it vastly that the sense of the imperative, the, the why it had to be done and why it was absolutely vital. What were the risks if we didn't do it? And the second point was actually also setting a sense of urgency of we really need to do it now. We can't, we can't wait. And then we added that with having a sort of a vision of, well, what was the future going to look like? What would success look like? What are the opportunities? And then bringing that much more down to sort of tangible strategy of breaking it down into more sort of bite-sized pieces. Because again, sort of overarching, it's, it can be very sort of high level and, and difficult to understand. So breaking it down into work streams. The other thing was actually making it the only priority. Often I've seen in transformations, it's like you have the transformation and then you have 10 other priorities. And of course, that's not going to, to work. So in actual fact, everything that was a, a fundamental part of the business, be it financial operations, people, market opportunities, was actually all built in under this transformation so that it was the priority. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that was really important. Then giving it context. Often when you're dealing with a change, you focus very much on everything that's going to change, everything that's sort of new. And sometimes I think it's also as important to talk about what's not going to change, what's going to stay the same, because they then become the anchors. So, for instance, it could be the company values, attention to quality, the brand, the logo, the people, actually talking about what's not going to change. And then sort of setting the expectations and the sort of what's in it for everybody. What's that going to mean at, a, at an individual level? And then the next point that we did actually was sort of together was um, make it really tangible. So in actual fact, we, we gave this whole transformation a name and we started coming out, we even had a logo and we started coming out with banners and t-shirts and, and giveaways. Uh, and so every time you could actually you know, very much see uh, the, the name of the transformation, we gave it a name, we gave it a drum beat, and then we used this name all over the place. And we made it very tangible in the sense that we actually went to our internal um, stakeholders rather than expecting them to go and find out information on the internet, knowing again that we had a lot of sales and production people, we actually went to them and we did town halls 
And again, the first time we did the town hall, there was a certain amount of seen, been there, done that. And what we did different was that rather than having the management go up on stage and talk for an hour and a half about how, you know, how important this transformation was and how wonderful it was, we had a very sort of short 15 minute introduction. And then we did what I kind of call a sort of science fair. So we got different people who were managing some of these different projects and initiatives to, to come up. And we literally was science fair in that we had pin boards with posters printed and we divided everybody up into small groups and they went around this whatever space we had in these small groups and they spent about 20 minutes and the team explained what their project was about, what success would look like, how this was going to contribute to the organisation and then in small groups, they could ask questions. And we always made sure that they had people that spoke their language. So if they were more comfortable asking questions in German or Ukrainian or Arabic, they could. And it brought it down to a small level. So rather than having to sort of ask a question in front of you know, 300 people, you could actually ask it in a small group. And then we gave the task of the management team they had the task of actually handing out either ice cream when we did it in the summer or hot cocoa when we did it in the wintertime. And so they were there in a very much, you know, we often talk about servant leadership, but they were there actually serving. Mm-hmm. And this made them a lot more approachable. And then after they'd actually handed out the ice cream, they were then asking questions. And again, it was in a small group of, again, about 25 people where it made it much more. I would say friendly and human and approachable to actually ask questions. And at the beginning, we had very, very simple questions, very operational questions. And at the end, we started having sort of much more strategic questions, including the one, well, what happened if the company sold? Um, so we realized at the time that we were building that level of trust, that people felt that they could actually ask these more difficult, these more crunchy questions. And of course, since they were talking to peers, people that they saw every day because they were on the site or less scary than the management, they also then created more belief in the whole program. I think the other point that was very much a success factor was, was celebrating. So we celebrated whenever we could, small wins, halfway points, when we got to 50% of all initiatives done. So very much celebrating everything that we could, making it that sort of tangible, real part of, of everyday company life. So uh, there are many, many different points, what you mentioned. Yes. So really outlining the whole structure. What I realized also in the projects that I was leading in the past in, in bigger organizations Things in terms of communication always work well when you make the effort to make it very, very multi-channel and not just a classic multi-channel like, yes, there's the intranet, yes, there's the CEO video, yes, there's the CEO letter, you know, the classic ones, Mm -hmm. different ones, really different ones and tackling the different senses of people to create this emotional connection. And what I've heard from you, there are, I haven't counted it, but at least five different points which make this really, really strong. And the very first thing which you said is to make it a priority over time. 
because very often change is announced. Yeah, you could have had your science fair and then let's say now it's there, people understood it, fine, now we move on with it and we just do it. And that's the biggest mistake I think that we can see when it comes to carrying transformation over time into the organization. Because people, because people, I have my cat, for those who see it on video will see it, the others will, my cat who is embarrassing me today. For people, it's, it's something very important that they can see. It's not just empty words when we say this is a priority. You really need to align many things in terms of processes and activities in the organization around this change. So there is not just words because the worst thing you can do is to say it and then not do it. And once more, you destroy the trust, obviously, of the people. So I think this is something really important to keep in mind. And it asks for additional effort. Somebody has to look at that and to come with the red flag saying, oh, we are deviating from it. <laughs> we need to stick to that. Yes. No, I think it's true. And also realizing that often if you're part of the, the change management team, you're actually breathing and living the change on a daily basis. And you can see the progress. But you're all there every day of the week seeing it. If, if you're somewhere else in the organization, maybe you, you only see it when you get the communication. So you might see it rarely. So you need to have that sort of understanding of giving everybody in the organization those regular updates, even if you know it's moving forward. You yeah. have to remember that the rest of the organization is not as aware about the sort of intricacies, the daily, what's happening with the change management. As you said, what has been achieved? What is the progress? And I think it's really important. So I know one of the things we had was a sort of a, a monthly update on the business. And one of those points was the update with the, the change management program. And this was then sent out as a deck that was then given to all the country heads who then had the task to then share that with their organizations, but then add in a, an extra layer of what their site or country was actually doing it to say, okay, globally, this is what we've done. But in say, you know, Latin America, these are the specific points that we've achieved. And then this is what's next. This is what we now need to focus on that we've, we've done, done this. And one of the big celebrations was then realizing when part of the work stream was going business as usual. The other point which gave trust was also that fact that there was room for failure. Uh, and sometimes admitting in some of the cases that you know, one of the initiatives wasn't quite the right initiative and being agile enough and flexible enough to actually go in and correct it. It sounds like that created a lot of ownership in the middle management, in the next leadership level. How did you do that? That was more the, the project team of actually giving very clear owners to each of the streams and each initiative also had an owner. And there was a very clear sort of once a month, you had to give an update on your progress based on the timeline that you'd given. I, I also had a work stream about communications. And if you didn't achieve that deadline, you then had to explain why you hadn't achieved that specific deadline that you'd set, you agreed together. So you really were, you had ownership and responsibility. And it really was this sort of drumbeat of making sure that you know, every, I think actually it was every week we had an update to the beginning. You really had to sort of keep up that progress. And, and if you didn't, you had to explain why to the CEO. So that kind of 
created that emphasis of I've got to keep moving forward. I've really got to make this the only priority in the organization. And if you had a good reason, then the timeline was adopted accordingly. And and this emphasizes once more the fact that it became a real priority in the organization because also for the leaders it was a priority, which is often another error that is made in organizations, that it's a priority, it's a, how to say, a pronounced or articulated priority coming from the top, but then leaders do not have that space to move within that. And then they see it like it's just an additional task that I have to squeeze into my agenda. Whereas what I can understand is here that you made a real shift of there's a shift in your agenda. This is really the one important thing. And then all the rest just follows behind that. And to understand that because you have put in a structure where they had this direct relationship with the CEO, it makes a real difference in how people live that. And my question is also around when I come back because the science fair style yeah. town hall is, is really a good idea because I think town halls are one of these things. And especially in an organization where many town halls were held before, where it was always like bad news and people were fearing town halls. We had that as well. People feared like, oh no, they're going to tell us that we're going to close the site. I mean, they, they came the first time around and they were very fearful, bad news. And if you know that, then you need to do something different. And that's what you did. What did you do to prepare the people who finally explained it? Because it was like you had little booths or little areas where you had the different departments explaining what they're doing. How did you help them prepare for that? Were there leaders speaking or were there also team members, contributors speaking? Or how was that? It was a mixture of both. So we had sometimes the team leaders, but also the team members who were speaking. And we provided them with a template to explain what the initiative was, what was the outcomes of that initiative and, and how much progress had they made. And then as I said, to make it this sort of science fair, sometimes had a computer showing something. We had sort of, you know, it was sort of demonstrations. I mean, one of the fun ones was we had a 3D virtual reality headset and we'd actually done this virtual reality visit through production. And so people could sit on the chair and they could actually go through production and, and see it in as a clean room type environment. So it was fun for them to be actually be able to see their production. And in some sites, it was a different production. So it was a chance for them to see one of the other sites or if they were in a, a sort of office or sales environment, the first time they actually saw the production. And it also made it fun. And sometimes you had a little competition. Sometimes there was like a small giveaway. So again, maybe the other point with this science fair was actually making it fun. Yeah, creating a positive emotion around change is great. Yeah. All about emotions everywhere. If we want people to take action, we need to create an emotion. And yes, you can create action by creating a lot of fear and threatening them for sure. But it's certainly not the best way. So doing something that's fun, it's a really good idea. I, I was wondering, because that's what I faced often in my career with these kind of approaches, which is a great approach, that in the very senior level, C-level, CEO level, you have some kind of resistance around, yeah, we don't need to share that much information. We don't need to go into so many details because when they change, then people don't believe that we are consistent. I think that's completely wrong, actually. I think sharing more is good. And if you have to change, well, you say why you have to change the details because there's a reason. But 
often it's like that. Did you have any resistance to overcome in terms of we want to involve so many different people where you obviously cannot control the message from the top? They will say what they will say. And even if they say it also in their local language, you have actually no clue what they are saying. And I know that sometimes creates fear in the very senior levels. Did you have I that situation? We had a little bit, I would say, among some of the senior ladies, but the CEO was the best ambassador. I mean, we even had sort of questions about him being very sort of frank about the fact that the state of the organization and sort of you know, the fact that it was in a really dire straits and, and people worried what, what happens if this information gets outside, what happens if people talk about this. And it was like, but it's the reality. If, if we don't share the imperative of you know, what's going to happen if we don't do this, then there is probably not going to be a company, in which case it becomes a, a moot point. So, and that's the fact that the biggest ambassador was actually the CEO, which was really very instrumental having the CEO lead from the front as well. And that, I think, brought in the rest of the management. And then, as you said, it was the middle management and the experts that then were the sort of the coalition, the ambassadors, that then sort of brought it to life. And made it believable because yeah, often management is not, not trusted. Yeah, that's a classic case. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's, it's an important message here to say that it's very, very crucial that the CEO really stands behind that and stays behind that and shows up. I think that is an important thing because often CEOs think I do the main launch message And then I step back and I only step in again when there's big crisis or something like that. And I think this is often a mistake that is made, that it's then dropped on the shoulders of the next level or the level after the next level. And they are not quite feeling helped with it because they have feeling there's not the support coming from the top. There's not this strong drive that I can feel there. So why should I make it my priority when it's visibly not his or her priority? And I think there's really good learning in there for if anybody listens who is really on that level, how important that role is. I mean, we hear it and we know it, but I also know that many CEOs kind of shy away from that, at least not doing it to that broad extent, to that in-depth extent as well. Now, from your personal perspective, you were leading the communications. How was that? I think it was it was a little bit scary because, of course, you don't know how it's going to um, what the execution and, and what it's going to look like. And also coming in, and it was the first time it actually brought in to do a narrative. So explaining certain concepts that, you know, we need to ha we needed to have the sense of urgency. We needed to be agile. We needed to have a narrative and a roadmap and have everything clear and have these sort of waypoints. And, and actually selling that to the, the organization that we needed to spend a lot more time upfront planning and creating this narrative and explaining why we got to that point and what it was going to look like before actually launching it was probably the toughest point because, again, organizations like, okay, we're going to do it and we start now. And so actually sort of saying, no, we are going to wait a month. I think it was a month or even two months. We were actually a little bit delayed in sort of launching the whole thing to give us the time to to prepare all the tactics. And, and we even came up with a playbook, which sort of outlined in a presentation. So we, you know, we gave managers a toolkit 
so they could actually take it into their individual organizations. And of course, that took time. And the CEO wanting to go ahead and go now was that was probably one of the most difficult parts of sort of saying, no, we need to wait until we've got we've, we've got this narrative. We've landed the why and the what and the when and what success looks like and what the future is going to look like and the sort of why we need to do it. And when we've got those points, then we can go out and actually then share it with the rest of the organization because we then have answers to a lot of the questions that they're going to ask. Which is also for, super important for the middle managers or the all, every, and all the leaders in between, actually, who have to carry that same message in a certain way. Yeah. It is, but that planning phase of was the hardest part. And then I think when it started getting going, and the first time around we did a, a small feedback survey and it was more positive. And then we redid this town hall because we did the town hall several times during the whole course of the two years. It just wasn't just once. And then you could actually see the trust factor, the feedback was was better and better and better as people actually embraced and they could actually see the changes. And it was possibly a bit less scary for them when they realized. And there were some difficult changes. It wasn't, it wasn't easy changes, but they could actually see that it, it was the right thing for the company and that the majority of people were going to be better off. And, and yes, unfortunately, yeah, there were some, some people in the organization that were worse off. Mm -hmm. um, but that, unfortunately, is often the case with companies. You have to make those difficult decisions. And I think also what was good is those decisions were made at the very beginning and then they were executed. So it was really sort of rip the band-aid off and say, okay, we know we're going to have to make these decisions and it's going to affect this number of people. But we'll do that in the first three months and then it's done. And then we can start sort of building. A lot of companies tend to do salami tactics where they cut back a little bit and it's not enough. And so then the next six months they cut back more. And then you have this constant sort of, situation where you're in sort of restructuring resizing mode um yeah i agree and i think sometimes these salami tactics you can't avoid it why because even in the senior levels there is some pushback then coming from their senior levels from the board mm -hmm. behind that which was not expected and suddenly things have to change again or there's an add-on to it and then you run into a salami tactic without wanting it but obviously it's something to absolutely avoid so let me wrap up a little bit because we're already coming close to the end because there are many, many action points and people can also find it in the transformation roadmap that I always write for every single podcast episode. But there were many, many different action points. The first one, which we mentioned and spoke about a bit more, is about really keeping it a priority, keeping the priority up and make it a priority for all the other leaders in the organizations as well, a real one, not just fake, not just an intent, but yeah. shifting the processes and, and what happens in the organization over time and for the whole time of this change project. Then you said, and that was important and we didn't dig deeper into it, but I think it's a super good point. Giving it content, yes, creating the narrative, being clear, but you also said also communicate what stays the same because people need that. Most people are really afraid of change. And when you give them at least the, an, an, an idea of what stays the same, 
it's very helpful because they feel like, okay, so everything again from scratch, this stays the same, this stays the same. I haven't done certain things in vain as well. You know, it's not like the past five years when I was working here, it was for nothing. No, they have that feeling. Yeah, certain things stay the same. They're valued. And I think this is super important. We don't do that enough in change. Yeah. And you said then also to create a bit what is in it for everybody and to make it tangible for them. What, what does it mean for you explicitly to not stick to these very high-level messages, but really go much, much more into detail and making it tangible in a, in a different type of town hall, which is a really good idea, I think, which is more of a fair where people, you walk from one booth to the next to see the different departments, also let team members speak. So make it very bottom-up as an exercise. What are we doing? Feeling also the excitement of people and celebrating this, making this town hall repetitive and not just once in the lounge because it's a big effort to organize that. It is a big effort. There's so much into it. But exactly that, getting people into action mode around it on a regular basis makes a difference because this is how you create ownership. This is how you create empowerment not fearing releasing too much information, but rather say, if it's too much, better than not enough. And then also, obviously, the very crucial role of the CEO of being really in the driver's seat, of showing up in the driver's seat and not operating more or less in the background, but being really visible and also yeah, sharing it in a way where people felt he's just a human as well. He's with us. You know, he's not just telling us what we have to do. He's with us. And I think there you had a lot of very strong points. So I thank you for, for sharing that experience, Sarah. It's great. Yeah. Now it was, I mean, at the end, it was a fun, challenging project. And looking back after the two years when we succeeded and we celebrated the fact that, you know, it was, we'd actually accomplished the transformation of transition. It was great to look back and sort of say, okay, I was actually part of that. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. It's fantastic. And I also thank our audience for tuning into Leading Change Conversations today. So I hope you found our discussion inspiring and informative. And it's something that you can really use when you have to lead a big organizational change. But there are many elements in there that you can also use if it's a smaller change on a team level, for example. So if you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And you can also sign up for our newsletter to access our practical transformation roadmaps on a regular basis. And if you want to improve your own skills on leading change or communicating more effectively, you can check out my courses for individuals on my website. And last not least, if you want to become a guest on our show, just go on my website, leadingchangeconversations.com and pick a slot of your choice in my calendar to discuss possibilities. So I'm surely looking forward to getting to know you. And until next time, keep leading, keep learning and making a difference.